Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, dear listener, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to episode number 10 of The Pursuit Pod. I'm Lauren Wood, and this is where I chat with artists abroad about the pursuit of their creative careers. And this week, we are off to New York City, my friends, as we chat with fellow Queensland Conservatorium alumni Libby Swan. It was great to catch up with Libby in this chat after not having seen her for a number of years since we last worked together back in Oz and after I've been very intrigued by the work she's been doing in the States at a time in its history that has been extremely tumultuous. Although performance work in New York has been scarce for the past 12 months, this girl has been thriving in an arts-focused role where she has begun to realise that her NT training has prepared her for more than just the on-stage action. I was keen to hear firsthand from a New York resident about what it's been like living in the city during some hugely historic events, including Trump's presidency, the collapse of Broadway, and the Black Lives Matter movement. I was also really thankful to have a very candid chat with somebody who also struggles with the audition process to highlight the absolute battle that it takes to get the damn performance work when it's actually available. It's not something we discuss enough. The fact that we put ourselves through these rigorous and emotionally strenuous interview processes for our work and I hope that this chat brings a little bit of comfort and perhaps hope to anyone who's equally still trying to figure out auditions. It's not easy folks so let's have a chat about it and without further ado Let's get to it. Welcome. Hello, Livy. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's lovely to have you on, darling. You are currently on lockdown uh, in New York City. How's life going for you? It's definitely, we're getting to the end of the tether, I think, after a year, more than a year now. But um, spring has sprung or is, you know, we have these few random days of spring, which is such a change to the mood, not just for myself, but you feel it within the city. So I'm excited for it finally to get warmer and and do more things outside, which will be excellent. I I completely relate to that being here in the UK. I'm so grateful for the chance to have you on the show today. You are my first guest from the States and New York specifically. And more importantly, and what's really of interest to us here on the pod is that you are an Australian abroad. You've really not been over there for very long, but you've been living in New York at a time in its history that has been very tumultuous, not only for the theatre industry, but politically, racially and socially, as you mentioned, whilst the city continues to struggle with the effects of the coronavirus. So I'm really keen to hear of your experience 
experiences living in this country and particularly this city at this time. But let's take it back a few years and go all the way back to Australia before you jumped on that plane. Whereabouts are you from originally, Libby? I'm from Brisbane in Queensland. Aha. So, yes, and that's where we met uh, back in 2012 it was. We did a production of You're in Town Together in Brisbane with the musical director Matt Samer, who was featured in episode number four. And in 2012, Libby, I think you were studying, weren't you? But you weren't studying theatre at that stage. Yeah, that's right. I was just finishing um, my double degree in law and media and communications. So that was kind of my final year of study for that. And I was thinking, wow, I'm going to finish study and I'll be free of uni and um, do this do this show for something fun and to fill the soul. Yeah. And yeah, I did finish uni, but I ended up going back again to study musical theatre the following year. And, I mean, that was timed really well because that course in Brisbane only came about not long before 2012, I think. So you would have been one of the first first cohorts to go through that course at the Queensland Conservatorium, which is a three-year full-time course. How did you feel coming out of that three years? That was a pretty big gear shift for you going from law and communication to musical theatre. Yeah, it actually, so we were the third year, which made us part of the first full cohort. So it was the first year that had a first year, a second year and a third year, which was, um, you know, kind of special. I guess us three years had a special little bond there. To, but yeah, it definitely was a change in gear. As you said, a lot of my law study we could do online and the lectures were all recorded. So going from that where you can kind of take it at your own pace to no, you're at uni from, you know, eight till six, sometimes longer, full time every day. And, you know, physically being in the room, a huge gear shift, but it was so much fun. Just, you know, being there doing something you were passionate about. And it was hard work, but it was it was enjoyable and it was fulfilling. So I don't regret that decision at all. It was an amazing three years. Had you always hoped to study theatre uh, at that university level or were you planning to pursue the law path until that had come along? You know, I I never, I don't know why, but I didn't audition for anything straight out of school for, for musical theatre. And I, I don't, my older sister had, you know, she, I had always looked up to her, obviously, as most siblings do. And she, I guess at the time, Whopper was really the only musical theatre school you know, in Australia, and they take 10 girls a year, which is crazy. And it's on the other side of the country. You have to fly, you know, five, six hours to get there. So it's not ideal. And I guess I'd watched my sister audition again and again and again and not get in. And I was like, well, you know, she's amazing. So if she can't do it, I can't do it. So I just, I actually just never auditioned. And I don't know, who knows what would have happened if I had auditioned then. But what I actually did my first year out of school, I did go to the con and studied um, a Bachelor of Popular Music for six months. But, you know, it it was like a singer-songwriter course, basically. And that's what I was doing all through high school. I did musicals and singing and dancing and all of that. But I played in a lot of bands during high school. So I auditioned for that. And myself and one of my friends from high school who played in a band with me, we both got in. And that course was actually at the con campus on the Gold Coast. So it was just a lot of travel. So I actually only did one semester there. And then I dropped out and applied for law and started law the following year. So how fortuitous that that course then 
became so established in Brisbane. And after the three years there, I know you didn't stick around in Brisbane for all that long. It's a bit of a trend, unfortunately, with graduates in Brisbane. There's not a hell of a lot of work for us. No, no. <laughs> and I think actually there's probably more now yeah. than what there was at the end of 2015. So I moved to Sydney. I Basically, I guess it was a choice between going to Sydney and Melbourne. And I thought I wanted to, you know, give it my all and make that choice. I had a lot of friends in Sydney. My agent was based in Sydney. So yeah, the, off I went. And, Bit of a no-brainer. And I, I mean, Sydney's a beautiful city. I know everyone has their very passionately pro-Sydney or pro-Melbourne. Um, and I just... Yeah, they've got quite a different vibe about them, don't they? They do. But I loved like the, the city life being so close to the beach life in Sydney. That was like one of my favourite parts about living there. And um, obviously... You know, while I was auditioning, I was working as an usher at the Capitol and the Lyric Theatres. So we were working at night. So in the day, we could go to the beach, go to work. I And I love, I love that balance. That's actually what I miss the most about being here is like being so close to the beach and being able to go for a swim and lie on the beach whenever you want. Yeah. That's definitely what makes me most homesick. <laughs> The, the lifestyle there was obviously appealing to you, but you were having to work pretty hard on the side, earning money as an usher, as you said, hustling and, and keeping that income rolling in while you were auditioning. I know you mentioned to me that it wasn't a great time for you auditioning. It wasn't something that you felt like you were clicking with. And it's, um, it's something we're prepared for a lot in these full-time courses with audition technique and classes specifically to kind of help you build that nerve that you need to uh, go and put yourself on the line in such a weird way like we do in auditions. But they're really alien environments. They're really high stakes, pressured environments. And I mean, when you were speaking to me about that, I re it really rung true with me as well, because I don't think I know many people that love the audition process. And it can really start to beat you down after a while if you don't feel like you're either getting the hang of it or 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 getting opportunities from it. Totally. And I just felt, I firstly, I felt I was just not good at it. And, you know, I was going to dance class, I was going to singing lessons, I was doing all the things and I just never felt like I gave my best in those rooms. And it was frustrating because I'd, I'd be in like my singing lessons. Um, I was studying with Peter Bodner in Sydney, who is amazing. If anyone's looking for a vocal coach in Sydney, singing teacher, psychologist, as they are. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, and we'd have, he'd be like, this is it. He's like, I know this is the one. You're so ready for this. And then I'd go in and he'd be like, you didn't get a callback? Like, what happened? And I'm like, I don't know. It just like, it doesn't work for me in the room, which is really frustrating because I know I thrive better. You know, some people are like, oh, auditions are easy because it's just one or two people. For me, that is so much more nerve wracking than performing for like a full theater of 2000 people. Like I'd choose that any day. And yeah. I just, I, I, I really felt like I also was never given the time um, by the panels in Australia. And it is a small industry. And a lot of the time, whether it's advertised or not, they know who they're going to cast beforehand. And I had so many so many instances where I'd walk in and be like, hi, how are you? And I wouldn't even get a, oh, good, thanks, you know. And I'm like, I know you're doing this all day, but it, that's just rude. <laughs> it's like yeah. you want people to do their best and to not even like look up from your paper at all while someone's singing. I just, I really, yeah, I couldn't get past that. But I also, you know, I did have a couple of auditions where I was quite successful and I got right to the end. And I think that was almost even harder because, yeah. you know, there was this one show that I auditioned for in Sydney 
and I did get right to the end and it was a real it was like a group audition environment the whole way through so I went back over a few days and you so because it was a group environment you could see every day who left who and at the end you knew who who was there and who you were up against and um I didn't I didn't get it but I was like oh okay well really happy with myself that I got so far it was the way they did the auditions I think worked for me because there was a lot of workshopping and I think they were getting a vibe for you know how they how you would be to work with which I think is something that I do have to offer that you don't always get to show yeah so I enjoyed that kind of process but then the casting came out and one person in the entire cast was in that audition room the rest were all people that had been, you know, I don't know if it was precast, but maybe they didn't find what they wanted in the room. Yeah. And I was just like, I, I'm like, that is, so, it's so unfair. Like that was like three days of my time and everyone else, not just me, of course, but, and I'm like to see you were looking for one person out of all of that. And they had us, you know, all singing different roles and things. And I was just like, that's, it's just crazy. And that's, I, there's so much of that in the Australian industry because it is so small. And I do see it from the other side. It makes sense to, you know, cast someone you've worked with before. You know how they are, especially, you know, it was a small show with a small cast. You want to make sure that everyone gets along and works together. You don't want to take a risk on someone new. But, yeah, that was just, like, so deflating. And to hold a cattle call to do that when you're only looking for a few people or even in that instance one person, it's almost it almost seems an act of show because, as you say, there's all these other people who are being auditioned in the background, whether it be privately through whatever means that's been arranged or with video submissions. And, I mean, like, it makes sense, doesn't it? You work with people you know, you work with people you have a history with, you have a rapport with. There's so much of that in our industry, and rightly so. But it means that thousands of young performers are going through through these sort of high-stakes cattle call auditions whenever they come about. That's the thing in Australia as well, is that there aren't auditions every week or every two weeks either. So you build yourself up to doing this audition that you've gotten, the first audition, major audition you've gotten in six months, which, I mean, that just adds to the pressure of the situation, doesn't it? You're not able to actually hone your skills in these high-stakes situations outside of uni because the opportunities are just not there that often. Totally. And it's just, yeah, it's like you have to put, you you literally have to put all your eggs in one basket, whereas I know, you know, in the UK and over here, people are auditioning full-time, like that's their full-time job. And I think that can take the pressure off a little because it's just, you know, it's part of your day-to-day grind. You're like, okay, well, this is what I'm doing. Not so much pressure on the result of it as long as you're happy with what you did. Whereas in Australia, it's like, oh, my God, if you didn't get a callback, it doesn't matter how good you did. You're, like, absolutely devastated that you you didn't get it. And you're like, I must have done a bad job. And after a while, whilst maintaining a side job like ushering or working in hospitality or the service industry at all, I mean, the friends I have working in those industries, I'm not doing that as a, a life goal, you know. They're doing that job to support themselves whilst they're pursuing their creative careers. But if things aren't happening for you creatively, then I think you have to assess whether staying in those jobs is really fulfilling for you and whether you need to start diversifying and using the skills that you have trained and honed so well in in uni or wherever to perhaps start looking elsewhere which is what you started to do yes yeah so I guess I got got to the point 
Firstly, I love ushering. Anyone who is a performer that is looking for a side gig, I've ushered at a few different theatres and it's so much fun and you get to watch the shows and kind of, you know, almost be a part of that industry, even if you're maybe not that part that you want to be, but you're still a part of it, which is fantastic. But, you know, it's the working nights and the nature of casual work, shifts getting cancelled, you know, if the the shows aren't selling well, they don't need as many ushers and that means it's harder to get get the work. Um, So I guess I just got to the point, also with Sydney being like a very expensive city to live in in Australia, I was just kind of over it. So I don't know, I'd always wanted to live in New York. I've visited New York quite a few times and, you know, seen seen shows and soaked up the city and had always thought it was somewhere that I wanted to be. So I did know a few people in New York, so I kind of started just putting the idea out there that I'd love to move to New York and if there was a way to make it happen, if anyone had any help that they could give and see what came back. And fortunately, I have some family friends over here who you know, this lady was looking out for a job for me and she sent one through to me and she goes, hey, I don't, I don't know if, you know, this would be the job for you, but it'll be good to kind of start putting yourself out there. And once people know you're looking, more things will start kind of coming your way. So, so yeah, I applied, I applied for a job and I actually didn't get that job, but the organization where I'm now working had another job that they hadn't advertised. And they were like, we think you'd be great for this job. And I didn't kind of at the time, it was all phone interviews and I didn't at the time kind of put much pressure on it. And in that time, I'd moved back to Brisbane just to save money, kind of hoping that I would have something behind me should I move to New York. And I was like, oh, it's not going to happen. I won't be able to get the visa. It's so hard. Um, But it did. It did happen. And even at the point when they offered me the job, it's obviously on the basis that you get the visa. And I was like, oh, I probably won't get it. It's so hard to get visas to the US. But I did. And that actually happened very quickly. So it was kind of almost like a three week turnaround between me getting the job and then being on the plane moving to New York, which is crazy packing up your whole life and shipping off. Had you you said you'd visited New York on holiday a number of times, but have you ever lived in another country before this? I had done a study abroad and lived in San Francisco for six months. So, you know, nothing. I don't think you can even really settle in six months. So that was in 2011. So I studied at San Francisco State University and lived there for that six months and did a bit of travel around the US then. But yeah, that's it. Otherwise, I'd just been in Australia. Cool to think back at uh, how that was perhaps a little seed that that you'd planted for yourself back then, not even knowing where you'd be uh, seven years later getting offered this job. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, that six months in San Francisco was amazing. I had a ball and I met people, made friends with people all over the world um, who were all in the study abroad program and gave me opportunities, you know, to come to, come to New York and um, see a lot of the rest of the country. So... Yeah, that, that was an amazing experience and definitely kind of one of the highlights in my life for sure. But then come the big move, you packed yourself up, got over there and tell me about the early days of getting into New York, settling in and your first impressions of the place. Well, I guess tying back to what you said at the start about the timing of me moving to New York, obviously um, I moved in October 2018, so kind of right in the middle of Trump's first term of presidency. And I remember actually being in the airport when I first came in and lining up for immigration and there was an, another Australian woman in front of me and she, she'd she lived in New York for like 20 years and was kind of doing like a, 
you know, she'd do six months in Australia, six months in New York still. And she was like, I just have to, before you come in here, I have to apologize to you about the state of our country right now. <laughs> and the amount of people that said that to me, I was like, I'm so sorry you're coming here at such a terrible time which was kind of nice, I guess, but I was also like, stop telling me how terrible it is right now. Um, you know, I was obviously aware, I follow the news and I'm quite switched on politically, but um, yeah, the amount of people, I guess in New York is um, traditionally a not a conservative place. So, you know, they're, it's, they're not pro-Trump, they're not voting for Trump here, but um, people were just so embarrassed by their leader that they spoke about it all the time and people were constantly apologizing to me which was just really interesting but um yeah it's, it's and you're getting a sense there in those chats with with strangers basically and you say you're in tune with what's happening politically over there but then to hear people speaking of it and apologizing on behalf like you start to get a sense of just how patriotic American people can be totally. and how much this state of politics at that time was really, really affecting people. Yeah, they, they were really feeling it in the way that I guess people that supported Trump were thinking everything was going so great. But, you know, there were a lot of people that, yeah, really, as you said, Americans are very patriotic. They're very proud of their country in a, a way that I don't think we really have in Australia. So, yeah, they, they're really, really feeling the effects of having a leader. I don't know, we don't need to get too political, but just a leader that they didn't feel represented their values, I guess. And yeah, so it definitely, it's kind, kind of like a, a dark cloud that was hanging over a lot of places where people were really feeling that. So you arrive in this city that's in the state that we mentioned with, with people, you know, in pretty uh, emotional states over what's happening. But You've arrived bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to start this brand new job. Did you start the job straight away or did you get a little bit of a settling in period? No, I started straight. So I think I arrived on Friday night and I started on the Monday. So I really had Whoa. no time. So I guess the first few weeks of me in New York was like going going to work, you know, a traditional, like ten, well, they work 10 till 6 here. Nothing really opens before before 10 a.m. So, you know what, that's a, that's a UK thing too, I've noticed. Yeah. Things start a little bit like maybe it's because the transport is just so rammed all the time. Yeah. You just have to give people that extra bit of time in the morning. I, don't, I actually don't know. I think like in the winter, it's definitely a blessing because otherwise you're going to work in the dark. But um, yeah, it's, it's year round. So, anyway, that's great for me because I'm not a morning person and I'm, I love starting at 10 a.m. But, yeah, so it was like going to work and then, you know, after work every night going and viewing apartments and trying to find a place to live and then setting up bank accounts and um, a social security number, which is like your your tax ID number and all of those things having to do that around a full-time job, which it actually was a lot. And I guess when you first land somewhere, when you, when you move overseas or away from home, you're just like, at the time, you're just like, go, 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 go. And you don't even think about it. But I think thinking back on it now, I'm like, that was crazy. And I probably wasn't coping that well with it all. Yeah, just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah, if you don't stop, then then you're fine. <laughs> so were you in a share house at first? What did you have arranged for yourself when you first arrived? So I was in an Airbnb for a couple of weeks and at the time, madly trying to find a permanent place to live. And I did eventually, the Aussies in New York, groups like on Facebook and stuff here are great and they have you know always there's always Australians looking to, to sublet their apartments while they're away or you know tons of options 
And I ended up connecting with a girl who had a spare room who was an Australian model. She was currently back in Australia, but she had another friend who was also a model staying in her apartment. And she was like, you know, go and meet her, see if you like the place and then we'll FaceTime. And if we like each other, then you can just move in. And then I'll, you know, I'll come back from Australia eventually and we'll be roommates and whatever. And I was like, great, that's cool. I go and see the place, tiny little pokey apartment, but super cute, like pink walls in the bathroom, you know, well-styled, but all the apartments here are tiny. And I, it, apartment hunting here is literally the worst thing in the world. Like no one wants to do it. And the places you see are just, some of them are ridiculous and price is not really um, an indication of whether, of the quality of the apartment. So you might go to somewhere more expensive and in your head, you're like, oh, this one's pretty expensive. So it must be good. And it's maybe the worst one you've seen out of all of them. It's, there's just like no sense to it. It's crazy. What, like just out of curiosity for me, actually, like what sort of cost are you looking at as someone like a single person coming from a student or, you know, early, uh, in, in their 20s background living in New York? I guess you're probably not you're not going to be finding an apartment of your own. You're going to be looking for shared situations. You're going to be renting a room more than anything. But what sort of price range are things up for rent there? Um, I think like probably like a, the lower end of average would be around 1200 US per month. And that's a share. That's for a room in a share apartment. Um, but uh, anywhere up to, you know, people, people that live in studios will pay like $3,000 per month. So yeah, you'd be looking at like uh, around five hundred dollars Australian a week. So twelve hundred US in GBP is eight six five, and then pounds are roughly half of the Aussie dollar. So uh, okay, so if we did that maths, we're looking at like sixteen hundred Australian dollars for a room for a month. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a hell of a lot of money. Yeah. It's absolutely crazy. And I guess living in Sydney was a good taste of that, but still doesn't compare. Um, and the apartments are just so small. I don't like, I haven't figured out how much money you have to pay to get somewhere that's like a normal sized house. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy here. Um, and so, so you had this, you had this set up with your Aussie model and this other model living there and uh, you were going to give it a test. Yeah, so when I went and saw the apartment, it was fine. It was clean. The girl was great. The one that the temporary housemate, she was fantastic. Um, so I was like, great, let's do it. I just need somewhere. It's not my dream place, but like it'll be a home, yep. which is lovely. Um, and so yeah, moving in, I all of a I couldn't get in touch with the girl that was staying at the apartment. Um, so I'm texting back and forth with the girl in Australia and calling her. She's like, I don't know. No one can get in touch with her. She's like, I've called her boyfriend. I've called her friends. I've called, called all these people and no one knows what's going on. She's like, well, you know what, whatever, just go. I'll talk to the super. So like all the buildings here have someone who looks after the building that like lives in the building. Uh Um, so she was like, I'll call the super and he'll let you in because they have keys to everyone's apartments. So I, I go there and I, I call this guy. He's like, okay, I'm coming down. I'll let you in. And we go to go in the apartment and he, he knocks first as you, you know, not just going to bust in on someone's apartment. And she's in the apartment. And I had one of my friends come with me because I was like, this is just, this situation is like weird. Will you help me and just come with me yep. in case there's something strange going on? She was like, yeah. So he, he lets us in. And after a moment of being like, hello hello uh yeah it turns out she's in there but just wouldn't let us in so he opens it and um she's like oh hi and she's just 
literally on another planet. And the room that I'd moving into had all this stuff in it. it. You know, the day I'd gone and seen the apartment, it was completely clean, looked, you know, ready to move in. It was not in that state anymore. And she just was, yeah, completely out of it. It was really strange. And um, I just kind of was like, oh, you know, do you want to, before I, you know, <laughs> move all my stuff in, do you want to get your stuff out? She's like, oh, no, that's all yours. I was like, okay, it's not mine. And my friend was chit-chatting with her and saying things, you know, trying just trying to maintain conversation. Yeah. She's like, oh, what kind of modeling do you do? Um, my friend that I was with, she works in fashion. So I'm, I didn't know this at the time, but she recognized this girl straight away. I'm just, I'm not switched on with that industry. So I didn't know, but she's quite a well-known well-known person and um she's like oh do you do runway or do you do catalog like what kind of stuff do you do she's like oh I don't know um just like (laughs) and we were like what is happening here I I can't even like I can't streamline this whole story because it was just so crazy so anyway I moved my stuff in I kind of gather up all the other stuff and kind of put it out in the common area don't know what to do with it you know the the sheets and things were all dirty and oh stains on them How and awkward. I was like what um I luckily had my own sheets but this was probably the worst part was that like I I had sheets but it was freezing cold I didn't have a blanket the blanket was like all stained and I was like I can't like sleep oh, with that hard. it's just disgusting so I was like freezing cold and it just throughout the week it just kind of got worse and worse and she she lost her phone and she was kind of going out in the middle of the night on these little adventures but would come back and couldn't tell me where she'd been or what she was doing and um she saged the entire apartment but like so much that it was like coming under the door into my bedroom and it was freezing cold so I was like if I open the windows I'm gonna like freeze to death but I can't breathe there's all this all this sage smoke getting asphyxiated for a a little sage but like this was like a lot and um you know she was smoking in the apartment and all of this so it just got to the point and I called the girl in Australia and I was like look I'm so sorry but I don't know what's going on here this is a strange situation and I was like oh I should have asked if you know, you smoked in the apartment. I just didn't even think of it because in Australia you can't smoke anywhere. And I'm asthmatic. So I was like, I just can't deal with the smoking. And then there's the sage and I could like taste it in my mouth at at work all day. And I wasn't getting any sleep. And it was like, you know, my second or third week in a new job. So I was just like, this is not sustainable. Anyway, it, it turned out that it kind of like reached ahead. And when I reached out to this girl in Australia, she reached out to some of her friends and they were all saying no one's heard from her. And and um, it, yeah, it, it ended up with the the head of IMG Models in the apartment with us at like 2 a.m. in the morning, reaching out to all her management and agents and trying to get her some medical care because she was not in a good way. Yeah. And I found somewhere else to go on the Blessed Aussies in New York Facebook page. There was an Aussie couple that, couple that were going on a holiday who wanted to rent out their apartment. So I moved in there and the timing was great because they ended up flying this girl's um, dad over to come and get her and get her some medical care because by that point she was she was at the point where she wouldn't even be allowed on a plane. So Goodness. Um, you really just landed there at a time where she was having a bit of a breakdown, it sounds. Yeah, and it, it turns out she had a she had a history of mental illness and if I, I guess I could have dealt with it differently had I known that in advance or if I'd known that at the time. I just thought she was... Having a, a, having a great time doing a lot of drugs and there was probably some of that too but with the history of her mental health you know I just I just didn't know didn't know and if I had have known that at the time I could have just been like okay we've got to get her to a doctor we've got to get her to the hospital earlier on but it was fortunate that I moved in because 
she was just there on her own and she's quite young. She's only, oh, I think she was like 23 or 24, you know, and just like roaming the streets of New York City, not in a great state of mind. So like, I'm glad that nothing happened to her. And I'm glad that, you know, the timing of me moving in actually was like a little, <laughs> caused an intervention for her because yeah. I mean, it's, it's a big city and you've got to kind of have your wits about you. So, And at the same time, as much as that was serendipitous and and it sounds like a good thing that you sort of interrupted whatever was going on there for her, but you yourself are in a whole new world trying to get your life sorted and you can't stick around sharing your energy with, with someone like that at home when you've just got so much of your life to sort out. So you've moved on. <laughs> yeah, I moved on. I, I guess the, lo- the low point of that is I went, I was like, okay, I've got to buy a blanket because it's freezing cold. I was like sleeping with my coats on top of me and I was like what is this this isn't how people live I mean I guess they do in this city but I was I was in Target and I like called my mom and I was like just like crying in Target and I was like I gotta find a blanket but I don't understand like their comforters and their all the du- duvets and all the different things that they have and they're so expensive and I'm like oh, I don't want to buy something like if I'm not staying at this place very long and um it was yeah a lack of sleep and an overdose on sage <laughs> I was not I was not in a good place and my mom was like oh my god she's like I don't know I can't do anything I'm in Australia and I'm just like crying in Target but Gosh. I think anyone who's moved abroad has had one of those moments where it's like oh my god what have I done it's and it's, it's moments like that you know in the middle of the night when you're covered in six jackets just to keep yourself warm because of the mold on your otherwise supplied duvet it's moments like that where you just go this is character building this is making a stronger person I will use this in my acting (laughs) and totally and then everyone says that everyone just goes you tell people and they're like oh yeah everyone has a New York story like that it's not a big deal and I was like why do people live this way um but yeah that was it moved on um eventually landed I, I stayed in another sublet for a couple of weeks and then I eventually landed in the perfect place with my now I recently just moved again but in a great apartment in Chelsea with um who is now one of my one of my closest friends here Mark who was an actor or is an actor and we just had so much in common and I think you know all of that was meant to kind of like bring us together because you know that instantly when we met it was like we'd known each other for years so um I ended up in a great apartment with a great roommate and made an amazing friend at the same time Good, good. Great to hear. And you were obviously throwing yourself into this new job. Can you tell me a little bit about the company that you work for and what they do and what your role was? Yeah. So to to start out with, um, it's a nonprofit that provides educational scholarships to for Australians to study in the US and for Americans to study in Australia. And we have three different categories of scholarships. Um, so we have education, which is like Um, post-grad studies which focuses mainly on STEM. Uh Um, We have a program for veterans which gives um, honorably discharged veterans the opportunity to pursue um, university level education and then we have the arts program which obviously uh, you know I, I feel very passionate about and that gives scholarships and grants to artists who are looking to either study or take mentor mentorships and career development overseas. Amazing. And uh, whilst working in this job, I mean, this it must have been pretty 
shocking for you to start seeing the demise of the theatre industry in New York at that time. Can you just talk about like as a resident in New York, working within the arts, but watching what was happening on Broadway and with the arrival of the coronavirus, what that was all like? Yeah, crazy. I guess I, my best friend got married back in Australia on the 7th of March, 2020. And so I went home just for a week to go back for her wedding. And at the time that I left at the start of March, coronavirus wasn't in the US yet. So as that, so they were saying, yeah. um, now we know it very much was, and it had been spreading rapidly for months. But at the time, so I, I flew back to Australia, went to the wedding, came back and was back at work for two days before um, we were in the office on March, yeah, it was March 12th, the Thursday, and they announced that, I think firstly, the first announcement was that Moulin Rouge's matinee that day had been cancelled, and everyone was like, you know, there was a lot of buzz around that, and um, then that Broadway was shutting down, and that was just crazy because it's the it's such a huge part of the New York economy bringing in tourism and the restaurants the tickets and the merchandise yeah. like it has such a huge impact on the way that New York runs so for Broadway to be shut down was really just insane and at that night my housemate Mark his partner was is actually working on and a new musical they had done a GoFundMe for it and um, one of the prizes or you know one of the levels of contribution was to go into the studio and have a studio concert with Jeremy Jordan singing songs from the show which was that night and so Mark had called me earlier in the day and he was like they've got spare tickets like let's let's go to this show and at the time like I was like great cool I'll finish work like this time so I'll be able to make it up to Times Square but we didn't know at that point that Broadway was cancelled so the show did go on because it was just a small studio show but it was it was totally surreal because Times Square was pretty much empty everyone in the studio was elbow bumping and just like that weird like feeling not knowing how to interact with people because we didn't know what it was or how it was spreading and it just kind of got really real at that moment and I, <laughs> we always laugh about it because we kind of forget that that even happened and I, I saw this amazing studio performance from Jeremy Jordan who's iconic yeah and you know I was talking to him and he was saying like he was doing or he was rehearsing into Little Shop at the time um and he was like yeah they just sent us sent us home from rehearsals at you know, halfway through the day because they don't know, there's no point us rehearsing the show. He was meant to go into the show the following week or something. And he was like, yeah, we'll just start rehearsing again. They said maybe like three weeks, four weeks, then we'll start rehearsing again and I'll go back into the show as soon as it opens. And at that time, people really did think it was going to be three, four weeks and we'd be back. And, um, you know, now it's over a year and they're not sure when Broadway can come back still. So as a resident in New York watching that happen all around you, was that affecting your work in any way? Obviously you were put on lockdown and transferred to working at home. Yeah, so my work had been trialling work at home on Fridays because my boss had suspected that it was going to transition to this. So we'd be working on working from home on Fridays to make sure that you know our system was working, we could access the remote login and everything. And they'd started that the week before on Friday. So on Thursday when we left work, my boss had just kind of said, she was like, you know what, like 
I know we're all working from home tomorrow anyway, but take everything you need because we just don't know what's going to happen with this. And we never went back to the office and um, still haven't. So to this day, have you been, excuse my perhaps ignorance, I'm not as up to speed with the trajectory that New York has taken as, as I am with, with what's happening in London, but so have you guys been on lockdown continuously since it came in in March or have you had any relief have you had any little months of of relief throughout that time yeah not in the sense that you guys have I know you've had some periods where things have mostly been open we had about four months at the end of 2020 where it it, like we're all wearing masks and distancing but it was kind of operating yeah we didn't really get that and I guess New York because we were the epicenter for the virus in those early days and the cases here were insane I mean I can't there were like 800 people dying a day in New York City and you know now it's probably more than that but that's what they were reporting at the time yeah I did some maths earlier and I yeah I discovered that so New York in total over the whole period of COVID has had almost 50,000 deaths just in New York so compared to London which is at uh close to fifteen thousand. Um yeah. that's you know that's who in, in Australia we're in the hundreds. So I mean it's just I can't imagine how surreal that must yeah. have felt for you to be living there at that time. It was it was really surreal. So <laughs> went home on the Thursday night. I saw this amazing show by Jeremy Jordan and then on Friday that was like we never spoke of it again because we were like it was all coronavirus and my housemate and I, we were like madly going out and panic shopping. You know, there was talk at that time of them shutting down the subway system, which is massive in New York. And obviously that impacts people who still had to go to work, you know, healthcare workers and things like that. And there was talk of, you know, the military coming in and shutting down the city. So it was just, it was a lot of unknowns and people were fleeing the city in a big way. Mm. So my housemate and I, we were like just running around trying to get as much frozen food as we could get. We, you know, we didn't know what was going to happen to, to the supermarkets. And, you know, like on a day that it snows, the New York supermarkets will be empty. So yeah. facing something like this, where, where there were so many unknowns, everyone was just, you know, going crazy. And then it really just got to the point where a lot of people had left the city. Everyone was directed to stay at home. We were never like forced to only stay in your apartment. You were allowed to go out for walks and things like that. It wasn't super restrictive in in that way, but we would go out for walks and you would not encounter a single other person, which for anyone who's been to New York, it's like, you know, you're usually elbowing people out of the way to just walk down any street. So it was, it was completely surreal because it, I don't know, it's getting vibes of like that Will Smith movie, I Am Legend, where he's walking down and the streets are deserted and like that's really what was going on. So that was that was absolutely crazy. And I think we did over 100 days of that and that's what everything was closed except for pharmacies and supermarkets were open. Mm-hmm. And then alcohol stores, alcohol stores that's a weird a weird way to say it they don't say bottle o here so um yeah like bottle shops were allowed to do takeout but you couldn't go in the store so you'd like line up on the street and they'd come and take your order and take your card inside and you'd just like wait there on the street um so it was always the store that had the longest line but it wasn't really until the summer where they initiated outdoor dining and from that point that they kind of started outdoor dining it took a while for the restaurants to kind of get everything together and get their systems in place. But 
really since then we've had different levels of things happening outdoors and just recently they've allowed cinemas to reopen and restaurants now have 35% capacity indoors but yeah we haven't had a time where everything went back to normal and I guess we're kind of now gearing up for that and the vaccine rollout here has been really good and a lot of people are vaccinated already so yeah, I'm just kind of hoping, I guess we'll keep building on that until we're fully open, but we haven't had a period of being open yet. Yeah. With that coming back from COVID, you mentioned something to me the other day, which I found really uh, shocking was the equity standards that are currently in place and in discussion for actors returning from COVID. Can you talk a little bit about what's going on with equity and the restrictions that they're placing on performers returning to work? Yeah. So I, I think I guess it's 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 a double-edged sword. So the city or the state has allowed for theatres to come back in a s- certain capacity and obviously the producers are going, well, that's impossible because we can't make money from a 25% capacity indoor theatre. So a lot of the producers are going, well, whatever, we just wait until you allow 100% and then the show, the show will go on at that point. For them, it, it really is much of a muchness. The, the problem being is that the actors' union here has um, kind of put out this list of demands on what the producers will have to do that they'll allow their actors to come back to work. And here you have equity shows and non-equity shows, and mostly all Broadway shows will be equity shows. And what that means is the only people who are even allowed to audition for those shows are people that are members of Aqu- Actors' Equity here. Um, and that's split into the, like the stage actors version and the television actors version. They're kind of two separate entities. And you can't just join, like in Australia, you pay your membership and you join. And, you know, if you're not working, they'll, they'll level out your fees depending on your income, which is great. And it's very inclusive. And, you know, even if you're not a member, you're probably going to benefit from the things that the union does for everybody in the workplace. Yeah. Whereas here, it's really you're a member or you're not. You have to you know, build up a certain amount of points to become a member. Um, you have to... You know, As in like experience, like if you get that from experience? Yeah, based on ex- experience. Yeah. So you might, I, I don't know how the kind of points level out, but you do a certain amount of non-equity shows that would then give you enough points to be eligible to join the Actors' Union. Um, and then on top of that, pay your fees and and everything. And then at that point, if so once you're an equity member, you can't audition for non-equity shows. That's a union rule. They'll say, sorry, you know, you can only audition for equity shows because they're the ones that follow the rules that we put in place. So Actors' Equity has come out with a list of rules and or, you know, demands on what the producers will have to do to allow the actors to go back to work. And they're basically a list of demands that producers already, uh, you know, they can't afford to open in the way the city's allowing. And if you add this on top, it, it's just another kind of hurdle roadblock. Yeah, for them. So some some of those things are that actors are not allowed to take public transport or Ubers or anything like that. They have to be provided private car services. So that's every single cast member in the show if they live with other people which is almost everybody in this city whether it be family members or housemates they have to be put up in accommodation where they can you know live solo and not come into contact with other people and uh, equity asking for that to be paid by the production companies yes yeah, yeah, so that yeah. would be have to That's be paid the by, the, by the show yeah huge cost and that's you know it's not even just about 
the cost. It's about the cost. But I'm sure there's a lot of actors that are going, hey, wait a minute, I'm not going to live away from my husband and my kids for the whole contract of this show. Like that's not yeah. that's not foreseeable that to be in the show they would have to be completely locked down and not see anybody anybody else at all. And then the other thing is they're demanding that all the theatres put in these special air filtration systems, which is kind of fine for any of the new theatres. It's a big expense, but I think it's something, regardless of whether equity says it happens or not, I think it is something we'll see happen across not just theatres, but like any kind of indoor venues um, are going to have to do this. But for the older theatres here, it's like next to impossible to make it happen. And I don't think like the theatre owners aren't going to cough up the money, but it's not even the money. It's really just like, well, how do you even implement that in a theatre that, you know, was built hundreds of years ago? So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't know how that will play out. And maybe once everyone's vaccinated, equity might step back on some of those rules. But at the moment, the actors aren't going to be allowed to go back to work even when the shows are allowed to open. Yeah, interesting. Thank you so much for like enlightening me on on the state of that because not living in the States or specifically in New York, it's something you don't really have any idea about. And there's so much talk about the state of our industry and how much it has suffered from coronavirus. But I think what people don't realise is is why. And it's not just because we can't have the same amount of people in the audience and his audiences anymore or, but it's it's because the people working on stage have to be restricted in such ways and like everything that equity is pushing for there sounds extremely important but yeah. um but there, there is so much to be negotiated and to overcome before we start seeing our industry back to anywhere near how it was pre-coronavirus Let's let's go back now to talking a little bit about your work. We we moved on through 2020 a little bit in that discussion, but and you've obviously had a huge gear shift with the way that you're operating in your role now. But at the start of 2020, and as part of your job, you've been part of these really huge galas that have been put on. Yeah, so every year we have kind of a few keystone events. Every January we have a big arts gala. And that was the last in-person event we did at, um, at the end of January before we shut down. And it was a gala where we honoured Kylie Minogue. Kylie needs no further explanation. And, um, and so these honoraries, because you actually host and honour a, a, a huge array of really big name yeah. celebs in in these galas, and it's you're honouring their contribution to the arts and the relationship between Australia and the states. Is that is yeah, that what it's all exactly about? That's exactly it. So the purpose of the gala is to raise money for our scholarships that I mentioned before. Um, so you know, every, everyone's donations and tickets and all of that. All at the end, it's profits raised will go towards um, supporting our association and the scholarships. And then, um, yeah, each year we have honorees and we pick, I mean, they don't have to be Australians, but it's less likely that we have Americans that have made a big contribution to the Australian arts industry. So it's, and yeah, anyone that has made a huge contribution to the arts. And um, we've honored in the past, um, Elle McPherson, Simon Baker, Naomi Watts and the 2020 was Kylie Minogue and Peter Carey, who's a award-winning Australian author. And we had a Rising Star Award, which is, you know, for an up-and-coming Australian artist. And in 2020, it was Jacob Elordi, who most people will be familiar with from his work in Euphoria. So that it was such a it was such a fun night. And I wish, 
you know, hindsight, it would have been so great to know at the time that that was the last fun night we were going to have. But um, I, I mean, regardless, like what a cool opportunity for you to be working with such prestigious names in our industry. Yeah, and it's it really is like a keystone event in the Australian community in New York. Like people really look forward to it, all getting together. You know, we have a great list of supporters, in, including like Hugh Jackman and his wife, Deborah Lee Furness, and who come along to the gala every year. In 2019, we, um, our rising star was Zoe Frangos, who is an Australian musical theatre performer. Um, and he flew over and he was one of the performers for the evening and he got a standing ovation from Hugh Jackman. So it's like it's just such a supportive community and everyone looks forward to the event and everyone gets together and we have there's some formalities, but then it's just like a big dance party at the end. And so it was just so many cool names for people who come. Um, someone who's, you know, one of my people that I look up to is Samantha Wills, who was a jewellery designer. She's re- recently swi- switched paths and you know, I got to meet her and as well as, you know, all these big list names. We've had, you know, Katie Holmes came one year. Um, just just so many people. I mean, I can keep keep name dropping, but that's not that exciting. But, you know, putting it all to, <laughs> putting the whole show together and then watching everyone have a really good time um, is really rewarding. And and you say you're, uh, you're raising huge funds for the scholarships uh, and the programs that you have in place within the organisation as well. But in 2020, you guys raised a huge amount of money for bushfire relief in Australia yeah, as well. Yeah, so um, the event was right kind of at the end of that bushfire season or, or during the bushfire season and it got a lot of coverage over here like how devastating those bushfires were and again it's another thing that I guess was such a big deal at the time and then corona happened and people stopped talking about it but yeah we instead of donating the money from the 2020 gala to the arts we ended up giving it all to the bush the bushfire appeal um, and we set up a fund that meant that anyone in America could donate to our fund and it would still be tax deductible. And then we sent all of that money to Australia to a few different organisations to help with the recovery from the bushfires. Amazing. It was an incredibly traumatic time as an Australian watching in the UK, watching what was going on back in our home country. So I'm sure you must have felt similarly about how that, what an immense amount of money that it, it was in the millions you guys raised, wasn't it? Yeah, or just over 2.5 million us dollars back to australia so and i get you know it did touch people here too because there were those um some us firefighters that had gone across to help and unfortunately oh, i think three or four of them died in a in a plane accident when they were helping to put out the fires so people in the us really felt it too and that's kind of our organization runs on the relationship between the us and australia because really by comparison australia is such a small country to the us but they do the two countries do have a really special bond and the us leans on australia for a lot of things and obviously vice versa but that doesn't happen for a lot of smaller countries to have such a close relationship with the us so yeah it was it was felt by a lot of locals here too you know we had so many people calling wanting to donate because their comparison was there's been a ton of like hurricane sandy which is like decimated parts of america and they were like you know australia helped us then and you know we want to help australia now by donating money so it was a really you know nice thing to see that um there is that kind of close connection between um, our two countries. Yeah, really, really lovely. And it was not just money that got sent back to Australia that year. You had a renewal of visas to deal with as well. That was later in 2020. You mentioned that you had to go back for your renewal. 
Yeah, so um, <laughs> I think it was after 100 days of full proper lockdown in the US, I flew back to Australia, um, kind of explored, my visa was expiring, so I, I couldn't stay without either, you know, something changing, or I would have been here illegally. And we kind of explored all options, but for my specific circumstances, I had to go back to Australia. So fortunately for me, I flew back just days before um, hotel quarantine was being, you, you had to pay for it. So fortunately, I didn't have to pay for it, which is great because I wouldn't have been able to afford it on top of yeah. New York rent and, and those kind of things. But um, so I flew home um, in the middle of a pandemic, which was not comfortable at all. <laughs> and yeah, went, did hotel quarantine and managed fortunately to have, you know, four weeks after hotel quarantine of regular normal life in Australia. And just as I flew over was just before they Australia introduced the flight caps, which now is such an issue for people trying to get home. Um, they really, it's really hard. So I was just really lucky with the timing and um, getting to spend a few weeks with my friends and family and, you know, walk around outside without a mask and <laughs> go, to, go to Westfield Chermside and, you know, go to the shops, which Gosh. actually was like quite a shock after being, you know, just me and my housemate for over a hundred days you know, not seeing anybody else, not doing anything else, um, a real kind of like, yeah, a shock to the system being around so many people again. And so normally not social distance, not wearing masks. It was, it was crazy. But And know. I mean, so you've gone back there with an agenda with the intent to renew your visa and come back over. But like, regardless, that must have been a pretty hard choice for you to decide not to. I, d I don't know if I would have come back to the UK this year if I'd have gone home to Australia for such a reason. Was that a hard decision for you? It was really hard. And I guess, like, the biggest thing I miss about living abroad is obviously my family and my friends. So, and everyone was saying, what are you doing? Why would you even go back there? Like, you're just going back to lockdown and you know, you're going back to where there's still hundreds of cases a day and they're saying, oh, well, this is good because it's like a really low amount of cases by comparison, but it's like still really crazy. And I just, I have so many friends who have lost jobs and I'd been super fortunate to keep my job throughout the pandemic. And, um, you know, my workplace made a lot of changes in order to keep all of our staff on board and not have to let anyone go. And, you know, I think, I, I know so many people in Australia who were let go and it obviously COVID didn't impact Australia anywhere near as much as it has other countries around the world. And I was just like, just thought, well, it'd be really stupid of me to give up a, a well-paying job in the middle of a global pandemic, not knowing what opportunities would be available for me in Australia. So a well-paying job that was going to offer you a chance for promotions as well, or where there was perhaps going to be an opportunity for you to progress. Yeah. The country must have been in a pretty dramatic state when you returned. I mean, end of 2020 saw the Black Lives Matter protests, which were huge in New York predominantly. Can you describe how it was uh, witnessing all of that happening in what ha had become your hometown? Honestly, like another really scary kind of experience to be honest and not with the peaceful protesting um we would my housemate and I we lived on kind of a main street where the protests would kind of go down every day and that was not what you were seeing in the media protests were incredible and so many different groups of people you know all with their signs marching peacefully through the city 
making their point but what the scary part of it was like you know after dark we ended up having a curfew because there was so much chaos and looting and just destruction happening in the city and I guess in the media that was being reported as you know the protesters were doing this and from what I witnessed that was not the case the protesters very clearly during the day did their marches everything was peaceful and then we you know we're watching that out our window during the day cheering them along from the window um and then you know it was still the middle of a pandemic so there's also that like people weren't wanting you know ordinarily I probably would have joined them but I you know my housemate and I we were super strict about what we were doing and you're not just thinking about yourself getting COVID you're like well if I go out and be with these people in the public then that risks that's me putting my housemate at risk so that was kind of how we thought about everything that we did but um yeah they and it was just so much destruction happening in night and we ended up having a curfew I think it was 8 p.m in the end you couldn't leave your house after 8 p.m during that time and because it was like constant constant sirens and helicopters all you know 24 7 all through the night and there was one night where the, you know, destruction and looting Gosh. came to our neighborhood. So, you know, you're just hearing windows smashing and, you know, then the sirens would come and we could watch out our window, literally like these these groups of people that were kind of, yeah, that they were just smashing up all the shop windows in our street and in our neighborhood. A lot of, a lot of people had boarded up their windows, but some didn't for whatever reason and made themselves an easy target. But it was literally groups of people and you'd see them, you know, they'd all come together. The The police would come and the sirens would go, they'd all disperse. And then the police would obviously go on to the next thing and they'd all come back again. And um, yeah, I'm just hearing all the hearing and seeing all the businesses who had already struggled so much. At this point, everything was still closed. Um, just having all their windows smashed and, you know, items stolen and then and um you know I don't I don't even think that was connected it wasn't the people protesting Black Lives Matter it was people just taking advantage of the opportunity to you know which is a shame because it taints the whole you know talk about kicking the whole thing that we're protesting for is for equal rights and it's taking the attention away from that as well as making it seem like that is what everyone who protests is doing and that wasn't the case it was clearly a different group of people that just wanted to cause trouble. And yeah, another thing to weigh on your conscience when you're back at home with your loving family, probably wanting to keep you there, uh, making the decision to come back over. But you did. And there was another gala in 2021 for you to look forward to and to start planning. But your role within the company changed a little bit. Yeah. So I was really just super fortunate. Just after I came back from Australia, I just renewed my visa. And um, I was kind of, you know, in more of an assisting role when I started out with the company. And um, just after I got back, I got offered quite a a big promotion, which was a step up to a director role within the company, which kind of left me in charge of um, the arts gala. And so I was kind of straight into this new role, which was a huge, a huge role to take on and has many, many different facets. But um, that to me, it was like coming back, although it was such a hard decision, it was the right decision because um, for my career, took a a big leap in the meantime and you know it kind of feels funny because it's all still sitting within my home um we still haven't left home or gone back to work but we you know throughout the year our smaller events we had to figure out how to make them go virtual and um you know the whole organization 
works on having events and that's why people donate money and that's how we fund the scholarships. So we had to kind of pivot everything to being virtual. And the arts gala was going to be one of the big ones because it's, you know, it's such an important event. And as we discussed the previous year, we donated the money to the bushfires. So we desperately needed to raise a great amount of funds for our arts fund. And so we, and we did, we figured out how to make it virtual. Um, I watched so many other virtual, you know, galas or awards shows in the meantime, trying to, you know, learn lessons, see what I liked, what I didn't like, what we could do better. And it turned out to be amazing and you know more than what I my wildest dreams could have dreamt of um we honored Kate Blanchett with a lifetime achievement award and we also honored Aaron Pedersen who's an indigenous Australian actor who is very well known to everyone on Australian tv screens and Leon Moriarty who wrote Big Little Lies so just just without honorees it was a you know, fantastic lineup. And then we had to obviously work on getting entertainment for the show. Our biggest goal was to make it like fun and entertaining because I think when people think of the arts, that's what they, that's what they think of. They think of entertainment and fun. We didn't, we had to, Escapism. exactly. And we didn't, you know, we had to mention COVID and the fact that we'd had to change this event, but we didn't want it to like weigh down on, oh my God, we've all had such a bad year. People know that. We just wanted it to be something that people could enjoy and have, you know, one hour of entertainment and have a good time. So we had performances from Delta Goodrum, Guy Sebastian. Um, we put together an amazing opening number where Dami Im, Chris Sebastian and Johnny Manuel sung That's What Friends Are For. And um, MD did this amazing arrangement of the of the song, which included Didgeridoo and William Barton, who's a very well-known Australian didgeridoo player. He was part of that opening of number as well. So, yeah, we were just stoked with how it came together and we managed to tie in a lot of other celebrity supporters as well into the show. So it was just fantastic to see how willing everybody was to participate. And also, like, the benefits of um, doing it virtually were that we didn't have to worry about, you know, ex-celebrity being in New York City at the time, um, they could do it from wherever they were. And Kate, in fact, um, filmed her segment for, on set in Boston for her new movie. And, you know, if, if that were as an in-person event, there's no way that Kate would have come off set for that movie. So, it, you know, we wouldn't have been, been able to have her involved. So it was... And also, like, just a, an amazing collaboration of people in the States, people in the UK, people in Australia creating this event, which really, at the end of the day, it didn't matter where people were, it, it all worked when you watch the whole thing through. A perfect example of how pivoting and using the effects of coronavirus in a positive way in your new position, in this new directorial position within your company, what a great success that must have felt for you to be part of such a well-received show at the start of 2021. A little bit of positivity to start the year with there. Totally. And I was, I, you know, I was nervous about it because I hadn't been um, kind of leading it before. I'd been involved, but, you know, that also means um, having goals and, you know, fundraising goals that you have to reach. And we surpassed our fundraising goals and set a record for um, the amount raised for that event, which none of us were expecting. We kind of budgeted, oh, it's going to be tough this year with everything going on with COVID, but 
we did really well and, you know, everyone wanted to get behind and support the arts, which was fantastic. And I definitely had a few like just surreal experiences in in creating that show where I was kind of waking up every day going like, what am I doing? Not in a bad way, but like, how is this happening? Everything is just going right. And yeah, who, who would have thought? And it's, oh, it's just so heartwarming to see that you've, you've really found your feet there now in the States and uh, at a time when it was really, really in a place of turmoil. And do, do you see yourself sticking around there for a few more years to come? What's your plan now that you have found this really great job there? I th- I don't know. <laughs> I That's still, an okay answer as well. <laughs> I still, um, you know, like I miss my family so much and um, I have my sister and her children were living in New York and they left with the pandemic as well. So, you know, it's it gets harder and harder to be away from your friends and family all the time. And th- that's the biggest thing for me. I'm like, if that wasn't a factor, I could see myself staying for years, but I don't know how long I want to be away for. But, you know, at, at this point in time, my, you know, my job is going really well. I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And um, that's, you know, I just take it one day at a time and kind of look for the signs. If it's time to go back, an opportunity will present itself. And, I'll say yes and that you know that will be that will be what happens but I don't have any kind of plans at the moment. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean regardless of what happens, look at what you've gotten to be a part of and the beauty of it being digital is is that other people can watch it as well. If our listeners wanted to uh, jump online and view the gala from 2021, how do they go and find that? Yes, you can go onto YouTube and search um the American Australian Association which is the name of the organization I work with but if you just type in G'day USA AAA Arts Gala it should it should come up an opportunity for people to glance at work within the arts that is not necessarily performance related I mean I'm not talking about the show there but your involvement with it I think it's just a great story to highlight the fact that you don't have to follow this set path after graduating from a theatre degree and by all means if you feel like it's not working for you at this point in time it's one of the the beautiful things about our industry is that you can be a performer at any age and using those skills that you've developed in voice and just as a as a I think a a musical theatre degree should be a compulsory part of life for any human being really totally it's it's you know skills that I use that I don't even know I use that are definitely put back to being a performer um even just you know the confidence in presenting yourself and the way you dress for certain events or you know all those things that you know every time you go to an audition you're like okay well the character is this they'd wear this you're like analyzing it and I think being able to speak confidently to people and present yourself well can help you in absolutely any field and you know there is a huge focus on people all the time say oh why would you do a musical theater degree what are you going to get out of that and it's not just becoming a lead star in a Broadway show or or whatever the amount of skills that you learn can take you in any different direction and I didn't know that I would end up here but producing is always something I've been interested in and you know that's not directly what I'm doing now but I've had the opportunity to produce a number of events in line you know with the arts and other fields as part of my new job and I think without 
having, you know, a performance background, it would have been a very different experience. Yeah, I think that's just a beautiful word of wisdom to leave our listeners with the fact that you don't have to follow this set path and it's worth opening your eyes and using your skills as an artist to see where else you can benefit in the world. Lastly, before we finish up, do you have any nominations for anyone you would like to see interviewed on the podcast? Yes, I I mean, there's actually so many Aussies here in New York and further afield, but I, someone I would suggest you talk to is um, my best friend, Tony Burns. He's done a number of theme parks and the cruise ships and everything and is now back in Australia and has also taken a career path change and is pursuing other studies. And the other person who would be great is um, Shannon Atkins. I don't know if you, Shannon used to teach dance at the con before, for your time. She did tap and jazz and um, she moved to New York and has had like a very successful career over here. She's actually back in Australia right now, but um, she's, you know, just another example of a different direction that you can go with performing. And um, she's a highly in demand um, dance teacher in New York at the moment and teaches at a number of amazing studios over here. You know, I think she'll be back once that industry opens up again. Wow. It's just so inspirational to see Aussie performers just like us traveling the world and achieving their dreams, perhaps not necessarily in the way they'd imagined that they would 10 years ago, but still contributing to the arts in such fulfilling ways. And your story has been a fabulous example of that, Libby. So thank you so much for spending some time on the podcast with me. Thanks so much for having me, Lauren. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. All the best. Thanks. In the words of a very dear mentor of mine, it's hard, guys. But does that make us love it even more? I've heard it said that if we had a partner or a friend that treated us the same way that the performance industry does, then you'd be hard pressed to find anybody who'd want to stay in that relationship. And yet, we keep coming back for more. Unless, like this intelligent and creatively passionate powerhouse of a woman, we take our strengths and that passion and apply it elsewhere. It's also commonly said in our circles that as a performer, if you happen to find anything else in this world that you enjoy doing, that you'd be pretty smart to pursue that instead. But creativity comes from within, and regardless of where you're applying that talent and energy, performers and creatives are always my favourite people to work with in any industry. And that's my very last ex-con student that I'll be featuring on this first season. I can't believe it's nearly the end, guys. And I do thank you for indulging me as I've pursued so many Brisbane artists so far. The Queensland Conservatorium's MT course, although still young, is world-class people. And I've been honoured to feature even just a slither of the talent that has been produced by it thus far. Next week will be our last interview for the season, but believe me, I've kept one of the best to last. So come join me again then, and come and follow me on the.pursuitpod on Instagram to keep up to date with the show's progress. You can also drop me a line through Insta if you, like our guests, are an artist abroad who has an interesting story to tell and would like to be considered for a future episode. Thanks again for your ears, folks. I hope I've provided you with a little bit of escapism from your daily grind. Much love. Until next time.